0: It's true that no one could have predicted all that this year has been, but what about the next? Sport is a microcosm of our larger world, and it has the power to influence those connected to it. As we have seen leagues, players, and fans grapple with a pandemic and join demands for racial justice, how will the future of sport influence the world around us? Taking stock of 2020, Global Sport Matters brought back a few of our favorite past guests, as well as some new to talk business, activism, technology, and more as we ask the question, what's next in 2021 for sport? I'm Andrew Ramsamy, and this is the Global Sport Matters Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone around the world. And thank you for joining us on this final GSM Live for 2020. My name is Andrew Ramsamy. I'm the Director of Digital Content here at Global Sport Matters. As we close 2020 and usher in a new year, we couldn't help but wonder what 2021 might bring. And when we began these conversations back in April, we discovered a question that became our inspiration for Global Sport Matters throughout 2020 which is, what is this reset moment of sport going to mean? Now, as 2021 is nearly upon us, we're asking you, our viewers, and our experts, how will next year be different, or how will it be the same? And we've had several folks contribute their predictions and provocations to our issue, which went live this week, and they're available to look at them right now, a link uh, posted in our chat. On the show, we're gonna explore the topic of what's next for sport in 2021 with a fantastic lineup of past speakers, new speakers, and we invite you to engage with us in our conversations. So like Kendall said, use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen and send in your own predictions and provocations that you have for 2021. And hopefully you'll be inspired by some of our own panelists today. So with that, let's start the show. And I wanna welcome Kavitha Davidson, Jessica Luther, and Myrna Valerio to our Global Sport Matters Live first segment. So, uh, back in January, we started the year unlike anything we thought we would be entering into. And no, it was not the pandemic. Most of us woke up to a Saturday morning in January, would have been a normal Saturday for most of us. And then all of our cell phones collectively began to ring off the hook, so to speak. We all learned that Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, and eight others had died in a horrific crash. Kobe Bryant was a larger than life character and figure that we all got to know, both doing work on the court and off the court. And there's no question that there've been amazing articles talking about his life and his impact, but there were also articles trying to balance whether or not uh, Kobe's prior incidences or issues also should be discussed as well, too. So that leads me to kind of talking to both you, Jessica, and Kavitha about your book, which I have here, uh, Loving Sports. I'm sure 2020 was either a great year to love sport or not love sport. Uh, But with that, Kavitha, what do you think about this year of 2020? And as you, Jessica, what, what did this year of 2020 mean to be a fan in the world of sport?
1: Uh, Well, thank you for having us. You know, the full title of the book is Loving Sports When They Don't Love You Back. And it's really about this all-encompassing fervor and love that we have for this thing that is at times irrational and doesn't make sense and sometimes is harmful to us, frankly. Um, But we keep coming back because there's so much good to be derived from sports. And I think one of the things that we saw in 2020 was how much sports mean to us culturally, but how much they mean to us emotionally and for our sense of normalcy and for our sense of ourselves. And I don't think any of us are feeling like ourselves in 2020. And I talked to so many people um, you know, when the pandemic first hit who basically said, I know that sports are not responsible to be played right now, but I just want something to make me feel like it did before March, before, before all of this started to hit. And, and and what we've seen this year is really a heightening of all of these issues um, that you know, Jessica and I had been writing about and talking about in years before, but all of them coming together now under a really highly concentrated lens of how
2: important and what our priorities are and why those happen to sometimes fall within sports. Kavita is talking about like this desire to go back to normal and feeling like sports can get us there. And I totally agree with that. Like I was thrilled to watch the U.S. Open when it happened. I love tennis and just being able to watch tennis was great. At the same time, COVID made it all incredibly complicated, I think, Most people that have any kind of conscience had a lot of grappling to do as fans taking this in. What are these athletes risking? Why are we doing this? Like, why are we actually prioritizing this at a moment when, you know, there was just an article in the Washington Post about nurses not getting tested for COVID, but athletes getting tested. Like, we're still in a place where sports are showing how messed up our priorities are. And at the same time as fans, we're like, happy <laughs> to be watching them. And that like holding that tension, um, has been very difficult this year. And I'm not sure talking about predictions for 2021, like when that is actually going to end.
0: Well, and Jessica, you wrote in our, uh, GSM issue about wanting to see more innovation in women's sport. Um, and particularly noting that the athlete unlimited business model that eliminates ownership and puts players and fans in charge. And, now, we just saw yesterday that the U.S. Supreme Court is about to take up a case to see whether or not college athletes you know, are professionals or does the, the rule of amateurism still kind of you know, rule the land? What do you think about this model? Is, is there a better, a better model for sport out there that we have not yet seen?
2: I hope so. I think a lot of the models for sports are incredibly exploitative. They definitely are for the people at the top. And then we talk, I mean, the racial disparity and how all of those things work. Um, there's got to be better models. Um, and yeah, the athlete unlimited is so interesting. If people don't know about it, you should go look it up just to read about the model itself. It's a, they did softball in the, I guess, late summer, and they're going to do volleyball and lacrosse, hopefully, in in 2021. And so these are team sports, but every week they shuffle the rosters. There's no real coaches. The the players with the most points that they earn every game, they get to be the captains of the team. They're sort of the coaches of the team. Uh, And all the money is in the hands of the players themselves. And so you don't have this kind of top-down ownership model. The athletes actually get to participate as equal owners in, in sport. And... There's so much wrong with how we even deal with women's sports as far as equity and resource allocation and all sorts of things. So it's very exciting to see this in women's sports at this moment. But just in general, we could talk for hours about what's wrong with ownership models as we have them, especially here in the United States, which is what I understand the best. I think there's a lot of room for growth and we should be thinking as creatively as we can about how to fix so much of what's wrong with it.
0: And Myrna, when we spoke to you last uh, during our GSM Live, um, it was when we had found out that Ahmad Arbery had been um, killed, and sadly, unfortunately, mm-hmm. months after the incident itself. So here it is now. It is December uh, 17th, 2020, several months later. Uh, a lot has changed, right? We have a, a new incoming uh, uh, president and vice president. What, what do you think is going to happen next year for the year of sport?
3: Oh, my goodness. So much. So much. Um, um, uh, I think that uh, the I think we will continue to push um, all of our sports organizations and, you know, the field that I'm in and running uh, and in the outdoors. Uh, I've seen a lot of it happening. I've, I've been um, part of a lot of the efforts and a lot of the actual anti-racism training for um, a lot of these organizations and companies um, as far as diversifying the field, as far as athletes, uh, people that work in, you know, in their, exec, in their executive leadership teams. Um, I've been part of efforts to sort of bring more people, uh, more a variety of people um, into events, um, you know, into outdoor events and such. And I think um, that will not let up. We have people like Alison Desir, um really going to task with folks at Runner's World, um, folks at the uh, New York uh, Road Runners um, Association, you know, people are stepping down because they are not able to Deal with this, and they don't have the skills to uh, to do the work, to do the work of social justice and anti-racism in their organization. So that's opening up a lot of the field for um, for some new faces and some new experiences. So um, I I am really really optimistic that this work will continue because you know the it's all about the bottom line, right? Even, even if these um, organizations are nonprofits, uh, it really is all about the bottom line, right? And uh, about getting more people to participate in the sport. Um, and so so I'm I'm very, very, very optimistic.
0: And Kavitha, we saw a lot of athlete activism happening this year. Um, and just, again, it seems like a lot of news is happening in these final days of, of 2020. But the USOPC announced that it will not sanction Any Olympic athletes next year during the Tokyo 2021 games. Where do we, where do you see athlete activism going? And and as fans continue to either support or not support these issues, we just saw last Friday, uh, two high school female students in Florida wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts ultimately uh, they ended up going on and playing their game this week. How do you think America and the world will continue to struggle or deal with the issue around activism and race and sport?
1: Well, I don't think that it's, I don't think there's putting the toothpaste back in the tube. I don't think that's an option. There is no walking back the strides forward that athletes have taken in finding and expressing their voice this year that frankly had started years ago. Um, obviously we can talk about the decades of athlete activism and how sticking to sports has never really been a thing for a lot of athletes. But if we're talking about this latest generation of activism, this didn't really start in 2020. And frankly, it started with, with, with the women. Um, But I I see the future of this just building on all of these um, advancements that these athletes have made this year. One thing that we saw, particularly in college in the United States, is athletes athletes being told flat out how much money these institutions stand to lose if they don't go to work, if they don't take the field. And that is empowering. Even if you, in some nebulous way, figured that, you know, athletes obviously have huge platforms and have a lot of power. This was made very concretely clear to them by the people who depend on them, but who still at some point hold the top-down power. So I don't see this going away. I also think that, I mean, we are... The next generation of fans is is really important to follow. If you look at any kind of market research, the next generation of fans is more socially engaged and more interested in social justice causes than any generation that we've really seen previously. And that translates, frankly, to brands. There are a ton of polls out there where, you know, fans have been polled about whether they agree with athletes using their platform to speak out. And the majority of them do say yes. And you would be surprised, even if you break it down by league, even the more conservative leagues, fans of those of those leagues still do think athletes should be speaking out. But the more important aspect, frankly, in moving this needle is the follow-up question, which is how do you feel about brands and teams who support their athletes speaking out? And when the answer to that is yes, and it is, especially in the younger demographic, You have executives at Nike and at FedEx and at Pepsi saying, we need to institute change because we need to hold on to these fans for generations to come. And the only way to do that is to stop trying to quiet or quell this wave of athlete activism in the future.
0: And Jessica, I know you're on a podcast called Burn It All Down, uh, a topic (laughs) that that you ladies talk about a lot. It was about whether or not 2020 was supposed to be the year of women's sport. Uh, you know, coming in from 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 uh, 2019, what do you think is going to happen in 2021? Will we continue to see this momentum that was supposed to come into 2020 go into 2021 around women in sport?
2: It's so funny because I'm such a cynical person in general, but this is actually an area where I feel pretty hopeful at this point. Uh, you're right; like there was a ton of momentum in 2019. We were supposed to see women's soccer again, and In Tokyo at the at the Olympics which we'll see next year but the idea that we would build on you know a billion people watching women play soccer from around the world and I was real nervous when COVID hit that like the places that are already again like I said before allocation of resources is not towards women's sports it would be an easy thing to pull back on Uh, but in fact we saw the NWSL come back first right they did the first successful bubble they had great ratings the WNBA I mean, all of these, there was too much sport to watch in August, September. So we saw all these ratings tumbling and the WNBA didn't have that problem, right? So when we talk about activism and whether or not people are turned off, those women were in your faces about how, about say her name and about Brianna Taylor and about what was going on in the Georgia Senate race. And people were tuning into that in, in ways that just as a women's sports fan was so wonderful to see. And so I do think we're building on that. Uh, As Kavitha said, one of the things that happened, especially with the NWSL, was there was a lot of new brands. Brands were buying into the NWSL in a way that we hadn't really ever seen before. When they're getting on board, that's always a good sign that they see the market value in it. Um, I think it was Deloitte just said that if you want to invest in sports, the place to do it right now is women's sports because they're so undervalued in so many ways. And there are so many fans out there. So I'm excited to see where we go on, especially on the professional level and and with the sort of wave that will come around the Olympics. I will say the one place that I am nervous is around college sports. And we've seen a ton of cuts to Olympic sports in general. Uh, I think so much of what's going on there is things that universities have wanted to do for a long time. They found a convenient scapegoat in COVID. And that makes me nervous for both men's Olympic sports, but also women's sports that they, there is no school that has ever met title IX requirements. I don't think. <laughs> um, and so this is just such a convenient excuse. So I think we should be paying attention there to make sure that we're holding those places accountable to the law and just to the fact that sports are good for everyone. Uh, but I I'm overall very hopeful about next year for women's sports.
0: In murder it seems like 2020 was a year that the image of sport changed a lot. Um you are actually featured in in several ads for Merrill. Uh, I think you're a Merrill brand ambassador. Uh we saw this year that Peloton uh included real people in their ads. What do you think about the image of sport changing and that it no longer be this kind of you know, beautiful photoshopped image, but that real people begin to kind of become more physically active as a result of the image changing around sport.
3: Yeah. First of all, I want to say that my um, uh, photos were beautiful and Photoshopped.
0: They were very, no, 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 no. They were, I don't know if they were Photoshopped, but they were very beautiful. Every time I, every time I see a Merrill uh, email (laughs) pop in and I see your photo there. Um, But, you know, I mean, let's talk about that. That's that is typically yeah. not an image that you would have associated right. with someone um, running in the outdoors. I mean, how has that changed the game for sport? And by the way, again, I love it. I love seeing it. How do we see more of that?
3: I, I, you know, I love it too. And I, and I am really blessed to be a part of this sort of changing image um, of sports in terms of representation, media representation, and, and like the, the huge influx of, Influencers and and uh, and ambassadors, and so I get to be part of all of that, which is really cool. Um, I also get to be part of that the inner work that all of these brands. You know, Jessica, you were talking about brands and, and brands doing the work. They are doing the work internally and externally, and at, and externally, that's when you see you know people like me in Trail Runner Magazine twice i didn't even know <laughs> i was in there twice until somebody pointed it out um you know doing this uh in this you know big like sort of artistic editorial photo shoot and then also me like in montpelier vermont um you know and so i think that is not going to go back because we can't we can't go back because you know as you know as we're saying you know the this new generation of of consumers and customers is very, very, they're very savvy, and they know what they want. They know that social justice is important to them. They know that they want to see themselves reflected in, in the things that they consume, you know, whether it's, whether it's media, whether it's Netflix, whether it's, you know, whether it's, you know, a magazine or, or going to a, a race, we don't have those anymore, but going to a race and seeing somebody that looks like you, that maybe has a similar uh, or a shared experience. Uh, we cannot go back. Um and that makes me really, really happy. And um, you know, and I think I think we're we're just gonna see more and more and more of it.
0: And Kavitha, the economics of running a, a media company is hard, let alone a media company that is tied to sport and sports. What do you think is going to happen in 2021? Will we see more consolidations? Will we see more brands go away? And and to be honest, being a a woman of color inside of a world that is primarily run by white men, what does it feel like to run a, a daily uh, sports news podcast?
1: Uh, I I mean, I'll I'll say that there were some rough months over there in the summer. We all watched horse on ESPN and marble racing, and you know whatever we could pass as sports in a pandemic. Um, it's it's definitely hard. It's a hard time for the industry. It's been a hard time for the industry for years now. I unfortunately think we're going to see more consolidation. Um, I think we've all been looking, we've all been waiting for. Somebody, some major outlet, to get the white whale investor who just believes in the journalism, and I don't see that actually happening um, in in the future. But I, I do have faith in companies like mine at The Athletic, and I, I I see some of the bigger companies and what they're doing, what they're trying to do at least um, with diversifying their newsrooms which you know we can we've talked about it on this panel we've talked about it for years we can make the moral imperative argument about why it's important to have diverse voices and diverse storytellers in media but it's also just good business you're going to tell better stories and you're going to bring in wider audiences and listeners if you have more if you have different types of people telling the stories and deciding which stories are worth telling so i think in the next year we're probably going to see some more layoffs. We're probably, you know, I think to Jessica's point, I think one thing the pandemic has done is given cover to a lot of corporations who wanted to make some cuts anyway, um, and and have found reason to justify that now. Um, but at the same time, I, I also think that We are what we are seeing in the on the creative side of media is a demand for media by and for people who look like everyone on this call and not just one type of person. Right. And I think that that extends to journalism. I think that that will continue extending to uh, to to the sports media space. Um, I mean, look at, like, we, we can talk about ESPN. I used to work for ESPN for days, but ESPN's front-facing talent is actually incredibly diverse. And it's, it's it, you know, they're better at this than a lot of other smaller newsrooms and local newsrooms especially are. So I, I, I take that as a really encouraging sign. Um, and not to, you know, not to give myself a, a business boost, but honestly, the future of profitable sports media companies is podcasting. So get on that. <laughs>
0: So our, our last shot for this for this segment and literally it is about the shot itself. It's the vaccine. Jessica, do you think that the vaccine will quell twenty twenty one into a sense of bringing that normalcy back, or do you think there's a lot of uncertainty that we still just don't know about what what the vaccine will mean to to the world and the world of sport?
2: Yeah, man, making a prediction about any of this seems like really <laughs> risky. I think that uncertainty for quite a while. I do think there'll be months here. I mean, the NBA is about to launch their non bubble. And I think it's probably going to be a mess from everything that we have seen with the NFL and with college basketball and college football. Uh, So I think we're going to have months still of of this kind of messy sports world. I do I'm hopeful for so many reasons that the vaccine helps us return to whatever normal will look like on the other side of this. And I do maybe my most boring prediction is that as soon as possible we'll all go back to this kind of sports fandom that we had in early 2020 that i think that people will just gravitate towards that in a lot of ways and i i do i want the vaccine to play a big role in that
0: myrna what do you think the impact of the vaccine will will be on for sport
3: well, you know, speaking about running, I I don't imagine that we'll have something like a big LA marathon or which I did right before things shut down or the New York City marathon um, at the same numbers that uh, we have. It might still be concentrated and focused on the elites uh, and those like sub elite people, but I don't I don't think we'll next year anyway. I don't think we'll return to the full fields of of those sports.
0: Kavitha, you got the last the last. Take on on the vaccine for now.
3: Uh, I mean, I think, like Jessica
1: said, it's hard to predict what the effect is going to be. How many people are actually going to take it um, is is going to be a huge uh, important factor in all of this. I do think it's going to highlight the the inequities even more. The NHL, it leaked out, has already said that you know in internal discussions that they've got plans to vaccinate their players before you know presumably. People in the general population who probably need it more would get their vaccines. Um, So, yeah, the inequality thing I think will just be exacerbated. And I also always think about what the effect on this is going to be, particularly on non, like not highly organized youth sports. Because if anything, what we're seeing is the exacerbation of educational inequality, um, and that translates to youth sports. So I think you're going to have a lot of rich, mostly white parents who are able to vaccinate their kids and also able to have their kids playing in smaller organized rec leagues. Um, and that's really going to affect the future of what youth sports in this country looks like.
0: Well, Kavifa, Jessica, Myrna, thank you so much for joining us on our first segment of GSM Live Uh, They will all be returning later to join us in our final segment. Uh, But with that, we're going to transition to a a poll. And I believe, Kendall, you are going to tell our audience what our polling question is.
4: Yes, I am. Thank you so much. And thank you, panelists. That was really insightful. So we're launching our first poll. So get ready here. So we want to know, on the note of the COVID vaccine, As it's starting to roll out, do you think for the sake of safety for sports that athletes and pro leagues should be some of the first ones to receive it? So this is something that has kind of popped up a little bit here and there in articles, but we want to know from you, what do you think? To bring back sports safely, are you in agreement that they should be some of the first to receive the vaccine? Is it no way sport is not essential or are you kind of on the fence and you'd consider it? We'll give everybody just a few minutes here to fill that out. And we've also popped up uh, just to kind of uh, further underline uh, some of the points that were made in segment one. So this is uh, from Jessica. If you want to invest in sports, the place to do it is in women's sports. So in answer, uh, should athletes and pros leagues be some of the first to receive the the COVID-19 vaccine? No way. Sport is not essential. 75% of you agree with that statement. So... Interesting enough. Here we are. There's the results. And Andrew, I will give it back to you for segment two.
0: That's really interesting. We did a poll earlier uh, this year, uh, the middle tor- or towards the end of this year, asking uh, whether or not people would want to return to sport and if they were given a ticket to attend the World Series, would they attend the World Series? And we saw that half of our respondents, uh, just about 49%, said uh, no, they wouldn't go back, but about 51% did. So it's interesting, it's interesting to see this polling result that people believe that uh, sports is not a number one priority at this moment right now. So thanks, Kendall, for doing that poll. Well, let's now welcome our next guest to the show to talk about how 2021 will shape the inner workings of sport. Welcome Scott Brooks, Martin Carlson-Wall, and M. Ilham Gronwall, and Brian David Johnson. Uh, Martin, I want to start with you first. Uh, as an academic who specializes in the accounting of sport, right, so the money side, how financially strong do you think the sports world is right now and it seems some teams are shrinking some have said that they've lost millions of dollars in revenue that they'll never see again what can you tell us about 2021 that might look different for the business of sport
5: well th- first of all thank you for having me here um, hearing the first um, part what is really really striking to me coming from europe is that if you take a global perspective it's very clear that the american system is sort of a market system. Uh, it's also clear when i when i do research and interact with china it's very much run by the state and in europe it's very much non-for-profit organizations so issues around you know commercialization this is how you invest in europe many sports clubs I think what, what we will see is they don't have that much equity so I think next next year we will see a big big clash between supporters, who really feel that their clubs, you know, soccer clubs, ice hockey clubs, whatever, uh, should be run by the members, but they just don't have the money. And you really see now quite a lot, actually, uh, private equity money coming in from North America to Europe. Um, and I think that's going to be a very interesting clash. So on the one hand, I, I, I really, I don't know if I would say look forward to seeing it, but I think there's going to be a clash next year. Um, Then another thing, given that that's a little bit of a difference comparing Europe and North America, going back to what what Jessica and what you said in in, in the previous section here, I hope that many will think about women. So, you know, in Sweden, there is a a strong discussion now, since many of our uh, sport organizations are funded by the state, if you're supposed to receive state funding. How do you ensure that you give equal weight to to boys and girls or males and females? I think those are going to be some issues to look forward to.
0: And BDJ, what, where do you, where do you see twenty twenty one going? I mean, we saw it, the impact of what it's done for college sport. We've seen what it's done for pro sport. We see what it what it what the impact has been around Title IX. I mean, what do you see happening in twenty twenty one? And you're the futurist, so if anyone should get this right, it should be Brian David Johnson. (laughs) Thank you, Andrew. Well, I think as
6: as I look out to to 2021, we have to understand what happened in 2020, right? In the space of a couple of weeks, we had everything just constrict and collapse, right? And so that as we start to come back, we don't know what's broken. We saw a lot of things that were broken. And as the previous panelists said, I think quite, uh, quite well, was that it it exposed a lot of the cracks and flaws, but also we don't know from an infrastructure standpoint, what's been broken as we start to come back. And I say that certainly from a professional sports, but I kind of liked, I was really glad that Kapitha brought up youth athletics, which is a big passion of mine that, you know, the the ecosystem that actually makes youth athletics run um, really a lot of that is kind of falling apart. Um, And as we start to come back, we don't know what's broken. Um, so I think we need to watch what's going on. And I think it is going to highlight some inequities. I think it's going to highlight even more of those flaws. But I should say the gas is going to be turned up even more because one of the things that I do a lot as a futurist is I work with economists. And what many of them talk about is that as we do start to emerge in 2021 and into 2022, we're going to begin to see an, an economic boom, that there's an incredible amount of pent up capital. There's an incredible amount of just pent up interest and um Um, just excitement out there. So there's this coming boom that's going to happen, which is going to put pressure when it comes to sports. It's going to put pressure. Now, going back to what Jessica said, they think there's going to be an incredible amount of investment opportunity as well. There's going to be just a lot more capital out there. Um, So I think that's going to be really interesting. There's that kind of yin and yang. There's the two sides of it so that we are going to have this boom and this surge that's going to happen, but it's going to expose even more a lot of the problems and some of the cracks and fissures that happened during 2020 and the legacy that we're dragging with us from the past.
0: And Ilham, before we uh, ask you what you think is going to happen in 2021, I'd be remiss if we did not congratulate you on being named a board member of the South African Sports Confederation and Olympic Committee. Uh, a job that you started uh, last month. But what do you think is going to happen
7: in 2021? Well, Andrew, I thought you and I agreed that that will not be mentioned, but uh, thank you very much. It's, it's, it's a mammoth task. Um, for those of you that might have followed the news, um, some very interesting things that happened in the South African sports space. Um, it's an honor, but also a, a massive responsibility. I think um, things need to change, and it's going to have to change in the boardroom specifically. Uh, people, uh, the decision makers like us, we won't be able to ignore issues around racism, particularly issues around systemic racism. The social justice movements—you um, know—we're going to have to talk about this as sport leaders and sport administrators. Um, major issues around mental health. So there's a there's a there's a big focus on winning uh, medals, on winning trophies. But I think we need to backtrack a little bit and pay a lot more attention. So we speak a lot about holistic well-being of athletes. But I think 2020 um, has certainly taught us that there there, there are certain areas within holistic well-being that we need to focus on. And it's not just about mental wellness for athletes. I think it's mental wellness for everyone involved in sport, if you consider the things that we're going to have to face um, coming 2021. But more importantly for me, um, Andrew, is the issue around inclusive leadership. Now, I'm still thinking, uh, I mean, I read about the IOC and its decision about athletes not um, going to be allowed to to raise their fists. Now, uh, social justice is not just about that. I mean, social justice is a lot more than just raising your fist. So people like us who are decision makers, you know, Brian, in terms of looking into the future, I was hoping that maybe later you'll tell us what's going to happen at the Paralympics and the Olympics when we talk about uh, <laughs> social justice movements. It's about making it part of your mission. It's about understanding beyond just raising your fists. It's about making it part of your culture. And I think these are some of the things that we, as sport leaders and, and people sitting in ballrooms, people doing research and understanding the deeper insights about sport. It's no longer just about dribbling on the basketball court, you know, passing a ball in the rugby field, you know, hitting that tennis ball with a tennis record things need to expand way beyond that. And it's not going to be an easy task. And therefore, I want to talk about the importance of inclusive leadership. And I want to ask the question, you know, I think my prediction is that we're going to have to think about the role of athletes. It's either we're going to embrace their role and we make it work in a positive, positive way for sport, or if wow. we are going to, to continuously, uh, you know, fight against what athletes can bring to the table. I think we're going to have quite a bit of a challenge to, to
0: deal with. And speaking of inclusive leadership, Scott, you've done a lot of research here at the global sport Institute, looking at access and opportunities to hiring, particularly head coaches of color in major sports like the NFL. And most recently uh, you did a power five study looking at head football coach positions. Um, What do you think is going to happen in 2021 in particular?
8: So one, I, you know, I, I hesitate with, with, making predictions around years just because that's not you know that that's that's it's things are not going to align based upon the year right. Uh, The pandemic isn't over because we hit 2021. Um, And so I I think that I side one with BDJ and talking about uh, some of the things that are that are going to change thinking of the the economy, as well as what's going on in sport and the very important message that, you know, we've essentially had a huge injury and we don't know, we, we haven't done the full report on what has happened. I think that that it cannot be overstated. So if I start there, we've got haves and have nots. And while there is a lot of pent up capital, it is not capital for everyone. It is, so we are going to see a broader gap between those who have the money. What that means in a place like the United States where it is already a pay for play model is that that's only gonna become exacerbated, right? Um, When I look at communities of color, we know that there's been a disproportionate hit to black and brown communities, digging deeper into what BDJ said and talking about infrastructure. When we come out of this, how many old heads, how many folks in a community who have volunteered have we lost? How many of them are unemployed? You look at our major cities, we've had a spike in homicides that we're not even really paying attention to. That's because again, of this structural inequality and the haves and the have nots. So we're gonna have a, a, a problem at the youth level when you're talking about any athletes that are playing in our major cities and are coming from uh, backgrounds with less resources. Then you're looking at the university level as Jessica pointed out um, earlier, you know, I think we're going to, my prediction would be, we're going to see greater gaps in the power five and the other sports. We already know that we've, we have some losses. We again, haven't fully taken account of all of the sports that have been lost. And so I think that we're going to take some steps backwards in terms of that. So uh, to, to what my, my good friend Elam has said, when you're looking at leadership, we've got a problem of culture. I already know that you know, in, in being in a position of leadership that we have colleagues who are fully on board with diversity, equity, and inclusion, but have no idea how. And what we know historically is that when you have something that is going to be based upon empathy, based upon guilt, is that that fades. That it only holds up for so long. And so without real intentional change, without really an understanding of how we've never solved racism before. So it's not like we have a blueprint. Um, I'm sorry, I think I'm a bearer of a lot of bad news. I I see a lot of potential problems. I see a recession with more of us seeing what the haves are going to be able to do. I see poor communities and black and brown communities who've been hit disproportionately suffering and their youth are going to suffer. Um, We already see those spikes in homicides and whatnot. So I think that the the year we've got to be thinking about 2022, really, if we're if we're talking about where I think there might be some change. Um, But I'll tell you on the bright side, the bright side, when you look at youth athlete activism, when you're looking at elite athlete activism, that to me is the real area of promise that. You look at a Black community where usually congresspersons are coming from religious occupations, I am telling you we're going to have Black athletes who become those politicians. They're already the activists, right? So the historically Black politicians come from, you know, backgrounds of activism. Right now, these are the athletes. And so I think that's where the promise is. I think, um, you know, we've got a lot of challenges going forward, but we'll see some changes you know, in, in not in 2021, uh, you know, on the positive side, but in later years.
0: And Martin, you talked about the three different systems kind of driving uh, the economics of sport. How do the economics of how are the economics of sport impacted by these social movements? Or just looking at when someone makes an investment in the sports space, that there is social impact.
5: I think um, in the same way that when I can hear you talk about, there's a lot of money in Sweden it doesn't really matter because you can't invest in clubs so so that issue in itself is not on the table in sweden so here it's it's it, and i think in many com- uh, countries in in europe it's the same so so then the idea of a social movement coming in we would refrain it and saying sports is the social movement so and and that's why i think from a european perspective what's really interesting now is that if sports is the social movement how can they afford to stay becoming the social movement. Because what has happened this year is that the social movement of sports, they, don't, they have run out of money. And I think a very interesting question coming up will be the social movement and, and how they have been financed, will their autonomy survive when a lot of money comes from North America and other things? Because all the great things that you know I, I'm sure we take for granted in Europe with the social movements, inequality issues that you cannot pay and put rich kids, we don't really have that. I mean, in Sweden everyone is allowed and it doesn't really cost anything to play, play in a club. So I, I think you know that's why it's so fascinating to be part of, of these types of conversations. Because, you know, when we talk about commercialization, that's your starting point in North America. When you talk about social movements, that's our starting point here in Europe.
0: BDJ, it was a year of unknowns, right? We had no idea that we were entering a year that would have a pandemic. We had no idea uh, this kind of awakening and reawakening on race in America. And then the election which was the biggest unknown of all unknowns. And for some people, the, the outcome has still not yet been determined. But for many, they're moving on because they know what the outcome has been determined. So how does someone like you in, in doing this work as a futurist take 2020 into consideration as you move into 2021? So generally, I go back um, to
6: a lot of what Scott said. Um, So you go back and you look at things like what are the underlying forces that are sort of pushing things forward? And certainly you look at culture um, and what's going on um, sort of culturally and socially, which is incredibly important. These are sort of what underlays it. Then from the economics of it as well. So what do the sort of economics look like, sort of where we're going? And I think those things begin to kind of sort of push at You know, when we think about the future of sports and I'll take a step back and say, you know, for me and and the reason why, you know, Andrew, I love coming on this and doing these things with 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 you is that, you know, uh, you know, I'm I'm a technological futurist. I'm an applied futurist. Right. I'm a geek. I'm a huge nerd. And I'm also a sports nerd. But, you know, one of the projects that I did early on, I did some writing with somebody said, Mm -hmm. how could you use robots in sports? Go with me here. So they said, how can you use robots in sports? Could you replace athletes with robots? Because I build robots, right? And first off, I said, that's the dumbest question I've ever been asked. Like, why would you even want to do that? Because for me, you know, sport shows how human beings are awesome. Like the one-handed catch in the end zone, right? You've got the the running and diving catch out in the outfield. You've got the amazing clutch three-point shot, right? You've got all these things that show us in real time how awesome people are. On the other side of that, and I think 2020 has shown this really well, sports also can show us how we're awful. Um, and it's really laid bare. Um, and that for me is, as I'm moving into 2021, it's looking at those sort of deep, deep sort of future forces that are pushing us forward. And we're gonna watch those play out. That's exactly what we're gonna watch play out over 2021. But understanding that that's what we're gonna be watching is that how do we kind of push towards that? We know that we're drawn towards it, like the like they were saying before uh, with uh, Jessica and Pete Kavitha and their book that we keep, we're drawn to it because it shows how we're just awesome. Human beings are amazing, but we also have that flip side that we're awful. And, th- and it really exposes those things, um, and I think we have to prepare for that.
0: So I'm going to compress a couple of things here, but it's got, it's a, a good setup and a question that I want to pose to Ilham. Um, but before we do that, we were going to do a polling question. So in 2020, racial racial justice became this movement, right, that we all know about. Um, and some people are saying it's happening. It's it's doing it. It's it's there. Um, but if, if 2020 was a year for acknowledging structural racism, what will 2021 bring? Ilham, if there's one country in particular that has dealt with racial justice and moving forward is South Africa. What do you think the world could learn from how South Africa took on the issue of race and how that might apply itself to 2021? And while we're doing that, I'll ask uh, folks that are attending to take our poll.
7: I think Andrew, we, um, Over the last 26 years, um, it has not just been rosy for South Africa, but I do think that some of the decisions that we've made, particularly in sport, um, comes from a space where we started to have the very tough conversations. And when you speak of a sport movement, that is exactly what happened in the South African space, where we really had representation from all corners of our country, where we then came up with what we call a... Transformation Charter. Now, the Transformation Charter and its implementation only – so, yeah, so it's our Transformation Charter has only been in place for a couple of years. Now, what happened in particularly this year, we saw a lot of our athletes standing up and say, those of you in the boardrooms who thought that you were doing an awesome job, actually, we disagree with you. Because the reality check was that for South Africa, we were looking at numbers only. And so we didn't look at the qualitative aspect of transformation. Therefore, I'm saying that it has not just been all rosy for South Africa, but there's a good lesson here that I think a number of countries can can take from South Africa is that we've decided to um, legislate the fact that we need a change in our South African sports system. Because if that didn't happen, I don't think that we would have seen the transformed sport teams that we see today, well, up until recently, uh, representing South Africa, and it, uh, and people refer to it as a quota system. A lot of our athletes do not like the word quota, but that was the reality back then when we needed to approve the legislation. And I think things have changed in a way where the athletes are now saying to us, we are not quotas. I think we're here because we deserve to be here. So therefore, I spoke about the, the, the role of boardrooms and having to think about social justice as a movement where we in the boardroom can no longer make the policy and we believe that that policy is okay and that our athletes are okay and they will just accept it. They said to us, no, 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 no. We want to be actors in this. We want to be participants in this. We want to have a voice in all of this. So during this past year, we've seen many of our athletes um, decided to stand up. And the Black Lives Matter movement certainly stirred quite a bit, well, quite a lot of the conversation for those of you that might have followed the South African space on, on, on the, the digital platforms, it was a massive, massive impact that the Black Lives Movement Matter had on an area that we call transformation in sport. So it's no longer just about the fact that I'm Black or Black African or coloured. It's the same to us as the South African public that we want a space at the table. We want to be consulted because if you make a policy that affects us, you know, where are our voices? And you know, I get goosebumps when I think about this because I, I come from an activist background when I was a student and I love this stuff. But guess what? I am maybe 10% of persons in the boardroom who can truly say that I love the fact that student athletes have stood up and said that we want to be heard. So, yes, there are lessons, and I think I don't think that many of our sport leaders have actually um you know, work through all of these experiences. I think it's a big shock to most of us, but not people like me. I mean, I've been at the forefront of of, of transformation for a very, very long time. I've moved from a historically black university to a historically white university. And boy, therefore I spoke about, it's not just about raising your your fists. We've been doing this for a very long time. It's not part of your culture. It is not part of your brand. If you are not serious about it, get out. Then we don't need you in the sporting space when we talk about diversity, inclusivity. And I said this before, and my good friend Scott knows this. So transformation for us, it is about inclusivity. It is about diversity. It is about gender. It is about gender awareness. It is about women's sport. So we make no apologies when we speak about women's sport. So Andrew, in closing, South African sport, has made history recently by becoming the only Olympic sport movement across the globe who now has 63% of women that makes up that particular Olympic board. So for for us in South Africa, it's serious business. I appoint coaches, and part of the key performance areas are that they must make sure that we have a transformed team on court because if we don't, I might just not reappoint you. Or appoint you when your term is over. And these are open conversations. We, you, you can't be apologetic if you want to see the change happening. And so I think from a um, I, um, uh, title nine from an American space, I think there's a lot of questions that you need to ask because I keep on seeing the systemic racism happening. The last example is the NBA. I think 74, 75% of the NBA are Black athletes. But three, maybe four of the management are now are Black. I mean, it is, when I visited the States a few years ago, I mean, I, I had the biggest culture shock of my life. And therefore I'm saying, you know, um, uh, Martin, you, you speak about uh, a social movement and the importance of uh, uh, retaining your independence. That is exactly the challenge when we, that we need to unpack about the role of corporate, the role of government, Because both these parties can become very, they can interfere in the space of sport. And and if that happens, you sort of lose your independence to wanting to become a movement and making the change that our society requires so desperately.
0: Ilham, I could see why you were selected to be on the board. There's no question about that. So with that, uh, Kendall, could you let us know what the results of our survey were? And as Kendall's doing that, I'll ask our rest of our panelists to come back as well.
4: Absolutely. So um, it looks like in answering about our poll. Uh, if 2020 um, was the year of not acknowledgement, what will 2021 be? Is it going to be the year of action? 45%? No. I think there's way more acknowledgement needed.
0: I think that's pretty clear. So with that, uh, we've talked a lot about 2021, uh, and we are literally days away from 2020 winding down. Um, And our final question that we have for all of our panelists, and I'll start with you, Mr. Brooks, Dr. Brooks, if you were bringing something into 2021, what would be the one thing that you would want to leave behind in 2020?
8: Hmm. You know, I, I, I call it the shrug, and that's you know, when you're speaking with leaders, um, coaches, whomever, and at a certain point, they kind of say there's nothing else they can do. Right. And they shrug you off. Um, I think that particularly with athletes of, of color, when they're speaking with their coach and they're saying, you know, they're, they're pleading for advocacy for their rights and the coaches, you know, I, I can't handle everything, right? I can't I can't fight on everything, and they do that shrug. And as Ilham has said, when we're looking at inclusive leadership, I worry about that shrug. And I've already seen it start to come back, um, and I want to leave the shrugging behind and us continue to address and be, as she said, unapologetic um, in our approach to being more inclusive. Kavitha, what are you leaving behind in
0: 2020 that you're not going to take into 2021?
1: I think it's the idea that athletes are not holistic human beings. Um, one of the things that Jessica and I have really tried to get forward in our book is that these are these are workers, these are laborers. They are doing a job. They deserve protection and payment and frankly, respect from fans, um, just because they happen to make a lot more money than the rest of us. Um, But also that they are human beings in our country. These are largely black men and women in America. And that means something um, beyond what is happening on the court and on the field. And I think that what we saw in 2020 was a movement away from seeing these athletes as as singular beings instead of holistic (laughs) beings. And I hope that we continue, that we leave that mentality
0: of it behind. Martin, what are you leaving behind in 2020?
5: I w- hopefully, COVID. I would say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think um, one key thing is is uh, this idea of um, fear for change, because I think, uh, as I've been saying, um, at least in in the Nordic region and the European region, uh, many of these social movements, sport organizations are really afraid that they cannot continue because of money. I think they realize they need to, but balancing that short-term with long-term is a real threat to many organizations here.
0: Myrna, what are you leaving behind in 2020?
3: Wow, I'm leaving behind injury. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, going into 2021, um, not collaborating or working with any company, any brand that is not doing the work. And Mm. I encourage other people in my in my position who are influencers, who are athletes, professional athletes or not, um, who are doing work work with companies to really take the high road and not work with them if they ain't doing the work.
0: Brian David Johnson.
6: I think what I urge everybody to leave behind in uh, 2020 is being passive. Um, I always try to tell people that as a futurist, I know that the future isn't fixed. The future is not this thing that we are hurtling towards helpless to do anything about. That you can't sit back and be passive. You can't let the future happen to you. That everybody needs to be an active participant in their future. Everybody has the ability to shape the future and you have to take it and you have to do the work. But if you do it, you can actually make it better. You can actually make the future better. And Ilhan will give you the final
7: word. Well, it must be traditionalist leadership. So I will continue to challenge and challenge and challenge because we need futuristic and inclusive leadership, people that can move us forward. And so this very aged boardroom, that is what I'm going to leave behind and I'm going to continue to challenge that to hopefully see the change happening a lot quicker.
0: And my apologies, I almost left Jessica behind in 2020. So Jessica, I'm gonna take you into 2021, but what are you going to leave behind in 2020?
2: Uh, Well, if I had all the power in the world, I'd leave the NCAA behind and get rid of them. But because I can't do that, I would like everyone to leave the myth of amateurism. I feel like as Kavita said earlier, COVID made it clear that this is not amateur sport, that these are the laborers and the workers. And if we could just let go of that and stop it, uh, that would bring me a lot of joy.
0: Well, I wanna thank all of our panelists for joining today. Clearly they have lots on their minds in terms of what happened here in 2020. What's about to potentially happen in 2021 and the conversation does not end with us ending our gsm live today so continue to follow all of them on their various social media platforms we put a lot of their links uh, in our chat as well continue to follow us on the global sport matters platform across all of our different channels and i want to make a special thanks to everyone who works behind the scenes at the global sport matters team to be able to do these events, it takes a lot of work, a lot of energy, so you don't see them. Some of them you do see, some of them you don't, but uh, to Kendall Jones, crisal Valencia, Katie, uh, and Julia, and everyone else that works at the GSI team to bring all of this stuff to you, I just want to thank everyone for all of their hard work and dedication this year. It was a very hard year indeed, but clearly we were able to persevere through all of the challenges. So with that, I will toss it back to Kendall, and I will see all of you in 2021. My thanks to all of our guests who joined us for this special live episode of the Global Sport Matters podcast. We've posted a link to our predictions and provocations issue in our show notes. This episode was produced by Kendall Jones. The Global Sport Matters podcast is a production of the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. Our manager of marketing and communications is Crisal Valencia. Our manager of events and programs is Kendall Jones. Our marketing and communications assistants are Julia O'Connell and Katie Cross. To stay up to date on the latest from the Global Sport Matters team, be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at Global Sport MTRS, And be sure to sign up for our newsletter on our website by clicking the envelope icon at GlobalSportMatters.com. I'm Andrew Ramsamy. Until next time, wash your hands and wear a mask.